Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, there are people coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. They'd love to get into your hands if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible. So you can get to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these, take it home as our gift to you. Go to Exodus chapter 3, second book in the Old Testament, easy to find, Genesis, Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning as we continue on in this series through the book of Exodus. And as, as you're turning there... <clears throat> I don't know if you've had these moments. I'm sure you have. Uh, these moments where you are standing in a place where, where you seem small. Standing in a place where you're in awe of what you're experiencing. I mean, I've had those moments before, whether it be, whether it be standing in, out, out in creation, like standing in the edge of the Grand Canyon and be like, wow. But I, I've seen my three daughters born. That's a wow moment, right? The first time I saw the Rockies, just unbelievable, where you stand next to a raging whitewater river and there's this sense of awe as you see the power of that water, as you, as you look up at the stars at night when it just fills the sky and you're in awe. And, and, and here's what I start to think. If, if those things are so awesome, imagine how great God is. I mean, if, if what he created fills us, fills us with, with so much awesome awe and wonder, what is God like? I mean, the, the one who just spoke the galaxies into existence. God is awesome. And, and here's why it's important for us to remember how awesome God is because of this. Nearly all of our, our soul problems, things like doubt and anxiety and worry and fear and insecurity and apathy and unhappiness, they come from this place where we have a view of God where he's much too small. Next is chapter three here. We're, we're gonna find this guy, Moses, and, and he's not yet the leader that we kind of know him. For those of you who know the end of the story, you know who he becomes, but, but in this moment here, he's not that leader yet. He's deeply insecure. And maybe you can relate to that, those, those feelings of insecurity where, where, where you come and, and you hear these thoughts in your head, you, these whispers you hear where, where you're not good enough. And you think, I'm not smart enough, I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good looking enough. I don't struggle with that one either. Like you guys, right? We never struggle with that one. Right? Maybe it's your job that brings that kind of insecurities out. Maybe it's a relationship you're in that brings out those kind of insecurities, right? I remember talking to a dude who, who a girl broke up with him and, and he's, why are you breaking up with me? And she says, because you're so insecure. He's like, this isn't helping, right? <laughs> Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's you're schooling. Maybe you don't feel insecure at all. I'd say this, have kids. Man, that'll bring you to a place of, I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Here's our first point this morning. As we jump into this text this morning, if you're taking notes this morning, it's this, to remember this, I am small. I am small. We're coming into the story now in, in Moses' life, in this time in Exodus chapter three, and he's this deeply insecure guy. He started out great, man. He was, he was the adopted son of Pharaoh, the, the king of the greatest kingdom on earth at that time. He was trained up to be a leader, but then, then his first act of leadership where he felt this, this deep call in his life, I'm gonna lead my people, the Hebrews, out of captivity in his first act of leadership. What's he do? He kills an Egyptian. The Jewish people reject him. Moses, sorry, Pharaoh disowns him. I mean, you think about the, the kind of day that, that Moses would have had right there, right? You're fired from work. Everybody hates you. 
you kill somebody on the way into church. Like that's kind of that's the day that Moses is having. Right? And so what, what does he do? He takes off, he flees, he runs into the desert. And in chapter two, as it ends off chapter two, we find Moses finding a wife, settling in to this regular life. Look at chapter, chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And now things aren't going great for Moses. When you, when you read verse one of chapter three, you, you recognize, man, this guy was one of the top leaders in Pharaoh's kingdom to now being a guy at this point, he's in his 80s, he's living in his father-in-law's basement of his tent. Like that's kind of where he's at, right? He's doing a tedious dead-end job. I mean, that verb there that says keeping the flock, the verb there, keeping, it gives this indication of it's just ongoing. It's never ending. It's, it's like you could say it this way. He was keeping and keeping and keeping and keeping this flock. Here we have Moses, this nobody. I mean, if, if God could have used him to lead the people, it, it would have been a long time ago when, when he was so powerful. But now he's this, this forgotten old man in a forgotten part of the world doing a, a forgotten job. But it's here, listen, it's here that God steps in and says, okay, Moses, now you're ready. I mean, scripture is so clear. When you, when you read scripture, you see that, that God cannot use us until we recognize how really small we are. We, we have to come to that place where we come to the end of ourselves, where, where, where we recognize, I can't do this on my own. But the whole journey that, that you begin as a Christian begins at that place, doesn't it? Where you say, I'm lost, I'm blind, I'm broken, I'm dead. I'm telling you, I've seen so many people that can't make that step towards Christ because they can't get past that point. What do you mean I'm lost? What do you mean I'm a sinner? And I do lots of good things. And they can never get to that place of brokenness and humility to say, I am so lost. I need to throw myself on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. It's a hard move. Listen, as a Christ follower, it's only when you are in that place of humility, even after that place you come where you say, I have nothing to offer God, where you stay there where you recognize, I do not have the wisdom, I do not have the, the, the power, I do not have the ability, I do not have the faith. And when you get to that place, that's when God steps in and says, okay, you're ready. Now you're ready. Now, now here's the frustrating thing about this though. You have to understand something. We can read through Exodus chapter two into chapter three and we go through it so quickly and we forget this, that Exodus chapter two ends when Moses is 40 years old. He goes off into the wilderness at this dead end job. He's now 80 years old. This is 40 years. The people of Israel have been in bondage for hundreds of years. And yet look at, the last few verses of chapter two, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Listen, God's timing is rarely, if ever, our timing but it's always perfect time. I mean, you th you think about it in the, in the gospel of Mark, there's this story where, where Jesus is, is, is walking through, through, through town and this guy, this, this religious leader, Jairus, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter's sick, she's nearly dead. She's going to die. She needs to be healed. Can you heal her? And Jesus says, yeah, I can heal her. And then Jesus takes the time. 
And, and Jairus, you could just almost feel it in the text. He's like, like, let's go, hurry up. And, and Jesus runs into this woman who's, who's hurting, who needs healing. And, and he doesn't just heal her on the run. Jesus stops, gets her whole life story, hangs out with her, loves her well. She's healed physically, but Jesus takes that time with her where, where she's not just healed physically, she's healed spiritually, becomes this follower of Christ now, is changed. But Jairus is like, what are you doing, Jesus? We got to go. Jesus says to him, don't fear, Jairus, only believe. He's saying, just, just trust me, Jairus. My, my delays are always perfect. My delays make things better, not worse. And in that delay, a woman is healed. And then, then listen what happens. He shows up on the scene and Jairus' daughter is now dead, but God is more glorified because Jesus doesn't just heal her. He raises her from the dead. God's timing is not always our timing, but listen, listen, God's timing is always perfect. I don't know, there's, there's probably someone here this morning, you, you need to hear that, you need to remember that, you need to, to grab a hold of that. God, you, you're at work, you're not too slow. Don't fear, only believe. God is the God of perfect delays. And here's what happens, 40 years goes by and Moses now is small enough to be used by God. Let's read on, look at verse two. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God. <clears throat> and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, here we have, you understand something, before you see what Moses says, you're standing like this, the Grand Canyon of Grand Canyon moments. This is God's very presence right here. He's laying it out for him, this unbelievable moment. But Moses is about to turn it into a question about himself. God's revealing his plans, his character. And Moses has this nagging question, a question that's been thrown in his face before. Look at the question he asks in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's like, who am I? Remember last week, what, what did, what did the, the Hebrew guy say to Moses after he's trying to break up a fight, trying to lead the people? He goes, who are you? Who are you to lead us? You killed an Egyptian. This insecurity, it must have hit deep into Moses' heart. Do you, do you have those, those, those things that someone said over your life? I mean, it goes deep, right? And, and it can hold on for so long. Look at God's response to Moses in verse 12. I love it, how God, how God responds to him. Verse 12 says, he said, but I'll be with you. 
And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I love how God presses in on our insecurities, right? He, he doesn't do it like we would do it. Moses says, but God, I'm not good enough. It's not like God goes, no, Moses, listen, listen. You are awesome. Moses, you need to say this to yourself. Say, I am Moses and I am awesome. Say it. That's who you really are. Look, look deep down inside. You'll, no, no, no. What does God say? God says, Moses, Moses, stop looking at yourself. You're small. We all know you're small. He says, look at me. Don't look at your insecurities. Don't, don't look at your, your shortcomings. Don't look at your failures. Don't, don't keep looking deep inside your own heart. God says, look at me. Moses, know who I am. Know that I am with you. Because listen, listen, real confidence does not come from a better view of your own strengths. True, deep confidence comes from a clearer view of who God is. And Moses doesn't stop there. He keeps asking questions. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Here, here, here's the thing. Moses asked another question. It's almost like God ignores his question, and he spends the rest of this chapter not just saying, hey, here's my name. He says, hey, here's who I am. This is what I do. This is what I have been. This is who I am, and this is what I will do. Look what he says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am, in, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what's been done to you in Egypt. And I promise I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, whatever, those other guys, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God say, hey, 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 here's who I am. You're asking, hey, what's your name? I'm about to not just give you my name. I want to tell you who I am. It's a, it's a truth that changes Moses. It's a truth that changes the people of Israel. It's a truth, listen, that changes you and I for eternity because it's, it's not about what you and I bring to the table. It's about God. God didn't need Moses to be a great victor. He needed him to be a vessel to say, just, just be used by me. Like here's the key of this whole encounter. I, I, I'm small, but here's our second point this morning. I'm small, but God is holy. God is holy. I mean, this passage is so powerful because God's introducing himself finally. He's been at work behind the scenes doing what he does, but now he steps up to introduce himself. And what we see is awesome. It changes Moses. It changes us. God shows up and he says, here's who I am. 
Now, a lot of people have opinions about God. Most of us here would have opinions about God. Even if you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself spiritual or religious at all, you would still have opinions about God. When someone says, hey, when I say God, when I talk about God, what do you think about? What's going on deep in your heart, in your gut, in your mind when you think about God? We have these opinions of who God is, about what he's like. I mean, as Christians, we, we, we can use words to describe God. God's a God of grace. God's a God of power. God, God's a God of forgiveness. God is a God of, of judgment and justice. And all those things are very true about God, but there's a way that God describes himself here. He says, hey, this is first and foremost of who I am. You'll get to know me in all the ways of, of who I am, but I want you to know this first. And he steps up right away and says, I'm holy. I'm holy. He says in verse five, what's he say? Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. The ground around me, I'm so holy that even the ground around me now becomes that. And, and here's the thing, I, I get it. We, we hit point two here, God is holy and, and you can kind of start to check out in a sermon, right? Oh good, a sermon about holiness. All right, I'll make sure I, I'll put on my real serious face. I'll, I'll, I'll look very religious and, and, and we'll get through this. Why? Because, because this idea of holiness can be hard for us to get our, our heads wrapped around. We can understand things like God is love. It might blow us away, but we have a, a category for love. But then you come to holiness, and it's, it's hard to put that somewhere. It's, it's hard to have a connection with that word holiness. How, how am I supposed to think of God as holy? How do I respond to a holy God? And so the word kind of becomes a bit of a church word. And we'll sing songs about God is holy, but we, we can kind of remove ourselves from it. It's this, this idea where, man, I can't connect to that here and now. It doesn't really impact my life. Like, like at school or at work or in my family, in my relationships, in, in the way I think, in the way I act, how does holiness actually impact me? So we hear about holiness and we, we don't know what to do with it. Why is that? I, I, I think we have all these weird ideas of, of what holiness really is. And, and so we, we push it aside. We don't give it a lot of attention. We just know that it's a, a church word. God is holy, which is tragic because, listen, God's holiness is the foundation on which all other traits of God are found. So I think we need to get a good definition. Then what is holiness? And if, if this is so important, here's a quick, just simple way to think of what holiness is. There is nothing and nobody like God. That's holiness. He's, he's incomparable. He, he's so perfect. He's so unique that there's, there's nobody or nothing that comes even close to who he is. He doesn't even have a close second anywhere. He's the greatest of treasures. John Piper says it this way. He says, only God is God. And therefore he is holy, utterly different, distinct, and unique. All else is creation. He alone creates. All else begins, he alone always was. All else depends, he alone is self-sufficient. And therefore, the holiness of God is synonymous with his infinite value. Diamonds are valuable because they're rare and hard to make. God is infinitely valuable because he's the rarest of all beings and cannot be made at all, nor was he ever made. He goes on, he says, if I were a collector of rare treasures and could somehow have God, the Holy One, in my treasury, I would be wealthier than all the collectors of the rarest treasures that exist outside of God. 
This is why Jesus describes it this way. He says, he says the kingdom of God, knowing God, is like the person who, who finds a treasure hidden in a field and sells everything that he's got, all of it, to buy that field. Why? Because he recognized that treasure's worth more than anything I own, anything I could ever get. That's who God is. He's holy. Here's another way for us to think about what holiness is. You can think of holiness is like wholeness. Right? When you think holiness uh, and God, think wholeness. God is whole. He, he lacks nothing. He's completely complete. He, he has no fracture. He has no stain. He has no break. He has no crack. God is completely whole. You and I, though, we're not. We're fractured. We're broken. And, and that's why there's so much satisfaction in clinging to God because everything else and everyone else that we grab a hold of for hope, they're all fractured and broken and can't satisfy. But there's this rest and there's this peace and healing when we finally come near a holy God, the one who lacks nothing, the, the one who isn't insecure, the one who is whole. I mean, that, that's the foundation of who God is, that, that, that out of his holiness, all the other traits now come. So when you think God is a God of love, it's a love like no one's ever seen. God's a God of forgiveness. His, his forgiveness is like nothing else we could ever experience. It's, it's not like you and I forgive people. We, we kind of have conditions, right? He, he's a God of complete forgiveness. He's a God of power. God's power doesn't lack. He, he has a power to heal, to restore, a power that is complete and never failing. God is a God of righteousness, a perfect, holy righteousness. I mean, can, can you see why resting in God's holiness changes everything for us? If, if we start to miss God's holiness, we start to, to treat God, think of God like he's like us, maybe he's a better version of us, and we start thinking, well, he's forgiving, but, but maybe one time, one day, he's gonna be fed up with me and not forgive me any longer. Or we can think, yeah, his power is awesome and, and incredible, but at some point, God's power has to run dry. Maybe he can't actually fulfill his promises. I mean, God shows up here. He appears to Moses as this burning bush, but it's a bush that's on fire, but not actually burning. It's not consumed. It's, it's why Moses says, man, I gotta check this out. This thing is strange. This thing is odd. This is a great sight. Really, he's just saying, man, this is nutty. I gotta go see this. But it's this beautiful picture of, listen, God's holiness on display. A fire typically needs fuel. To burn, it needs to have fuel to, to allow it to burn. God says, no, I'm not like that. I'm a fire that needs no fuel. I'm whole. I don't need anything. I don't run out. God is holy. Now, in the midst of that holiness, Moses gets it now, and he, he's, he's terrified, right? He goes, I don't even want to come near to this. I, I can't even look at, at this burning bush because he's terrified of God's holiness. And, and God calls out from the bush, and he says, Moses, Moses. Now, saying his name twice, it, it wasn't because Moses was 80 and hard of hearing. In, in this culture, when you say a name twice, it's a way to put affection to it. It's, it's a way to show how, how endeared you are to that person. King David did it with his son. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, my son, Absalom. It, it's a, you repeat the name, and it's a, a way of, of, of sharing just this, this affection you have. And he's like, Moses, Moses, speaking with this holy love. And, and Moses now would have heard Moses, Moses, and he's in this place of kind of confusion. This is a holy, awesome, righteous God of justice and judgment and perfection, yet he's calling out to me in love. 
And God says, don't, don't come near me. Take off your shoes because the very ground you're on is holy because of my presence. In that midst of that, there's this terror and God's love. And then God says in the midst of that, he says, Moses, I, I got a job for you to do. And Moses is like, well, listen, listen, if I got this job I have to do, how do I know it's really you? Like, what's your name? Who are you? And that's when, when God says, verse 14, I am who I am. That's the coolest name ever, right? He said, I, I always have been. I always will be. I operate how I operate. I am how I am. I, I, don't, I don't lower myself to, to make you feel more comfortable so you can accept me. I don't change how I act because of anyone or anything. I am who I am. I am whole. I am holy. I am eternal. I am unchanging. That's what God's saying. God's basically saying this to us. You orbit around me. I don't orbit around you. I am who I am. I mean, think about the implications of this. Maybe when, when you're calling out to God, and, and we use this phrase a lot, right? We, we would say, God, would you move in this situation? God, we need you to heal, to restore, to grow us, to change us, to change the situation. God, God, move in holy power. So God says, okay, I will. And God begins to move, but he is who he is. I am who I am. And, and how often does God move? We say, God, would you, would you change me? Would you grow this? Would you heal? Would you do this work? And God steps in and begins to press in and he begins to knock over some idols in our life. Begins to press in on some of our little kingdoms. Begins to, begins to tug at some sin and we're like, whoa, 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 God, no, 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 no. I want you to heal, but not that way. And God says, I am who I am. I don't orbit you. you, you orbit me. This is so hard for us, isn't it? Because we love for people and things to orbit us, right? No, 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 you change for me. No, you move for me. No, you serve me. No, I'll forgive as soon as they finish. As, as they, if they can do one, two, and three, then maybe I'll forgive. They gotta do this. And We want everything to shift to us, to our needs, to our comforts. And so God can be so frustrating at times. He says, I am who I am. Yeah, but God, I, I don't like what your word says here. I am who I am. Yeah, but I don't like that you press on me. I, I, I want my comfort, my needs met. I want, and God steps in, and he doesn't start by saying, Moses, I'm a God of love. He starts by saying, I am God. I am who I am. And Moses, I'm, I'm gonna use you for incredible things. I'm gonna transform you. I'm gonna change you. I'm gonna act. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna press in on your heart. Before I start this work in you, you need to understand something, Moses. I am who I am, God says. I move in total holiness. Everything about me is holy and perfect and true, and you can rest in that. I mean, what does God do? God calls us to meet him on his terms, right? Look at verse four. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near, take, off, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He says, approach me in my holiness, but approach me with reverence, not flippantly, not, not superficially. Now, here's that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean every time you come to church, you take your shoes off before you come in here. Listen, we're wearing winter boots. Please don't do that. This place gets stinky pretty quick, right? So that, that's not what reverence means. So what's it mean then to, to show up with reverence? Here's what I think it means. It means having a proper view of what actually is going on. 
I mean, let me say it this way. How often do we come to church so flippantly? And we forget what's actually going on here right now this morning. We, we forget that we're gathering together as brothers and sisters. What are we doing? Worshiping, spending time in the word, and we're gathering in the presence of the one who spoke galaxies into existence. I forget that so much. Don't, don't you sometimes come to churches kind of flippantly not, not recognizing that? That we're worshiping the God who redeems, who restores, who heals, the God who judges with perfect righteousness. So here's the thing, to, to approach God with reverence, and I would say it would be this, you come to God recognizing how crazy it is that the God of the universe is meeting with you. That's reverence. We can get so used to God, can't we? We have to come to that place, maybe even this morning, where you step back a little bit and say, what's really going on here? I mean, how remarkable is it that, that God, you don't need me. I bring nothing but brokenness and hardship and sin into this relationship, and yet, God, you seek after me. You meet with me. You listen to me. You change me. You empathize with me. You love me. You care for me. I mean, we need to stop and go, what? Amen. One person clapping is awkward. Y'all should have joined in there, right? <laughs> Sometimes I think we need to stop and say, I cannot believe what God is doing. That's a sense of reverence. It doesn't have to be some religious holy act that you're doing. It's just recognizing and understanding that, that man, the best I can get my head wrapped around this, how remarkable this is, how, how crazy this is that this is happening to Moses and it happens to us as well. Don't rush by this. To see that God is holy and say, this is remarkable. That we can gather like this on a Sunday. We can worship and sing together to this God. We can hear his word being preached. We can give and serve. And, and it should stir our affections that, God, you don't have to do it this way, but you do. You are so holy. To think that he set his heart on you. When we begin to grasp his holiness, we can't help but worship. We can't help but be moved by this. And God so wants Moses to get this. He says, Moses, here's my name. You want a name? I am who I am. And this is not so much like him saying, hey, this is my name. I'm Joe, right? He, he's, he's describing himself. He's saying, Moses, before you worry about my name, before you try to figure out, hey, where do I line up amongst all the gods of Egypt? Before you wonder, hey, what name do I call out to summon you when I need you? Before you wonder if I really am the God of Abraham, you need to be blown away by this, be changed by this. God says, I am who I am. Nothing precedes him. Nothing sustains him. Nothing contains him. And God's saying this, Moses, if I am, if I'm the eternal one on your side, you don't need anything else. All those other places you go to, all those other people you seek after, they don't fulfill you like I do. They don't, they don't change you like I do. It's really God saying to Moses, Moses, just be quiet for a second. It's no longer about how small you are. It's no longer about who you are. It's about who I am. And then all through the Old Testament, we see God use this name over and over again. Over 6,000 times in the, in the Old Testament, God says, I am, and he, and he talks about who he is. He uses this name. When you were reading the Old Testament, you see all capitalized L-O-R-D. That's this name being used, this name of, of Yahweh. 
the I am who I am. Yah, when we say hallelujah, that's us saying praise to God, right? So God's saying, this is my name, I am. And then you read through the Old Testament. Whenever they're coming into trouble, God speaks his name, his holiness, his perfectness, and he says, I am your healer. I am your savior. I am your deliverer. I am your righteousness. You don't need to bring anything else to yourself. You don't need to show yourself as being good. I am your righteousness. I am your shepherd. I am your provider. Perfect in all of these. And then Jesus steps in. Jesus comes as God, the Son, God in flesh. And they ask Jesus, who are you? And Jesus says, I am. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. To the unrighteous, Jesus says, I am your righteousness. To the powerless, he says, I'll be your defense. To to the emptiness, Jesus says, I'll be your fullness. To the dead, he says, I am your resurrection. To the defeated, he says, I am your hope. Listen, I am who I am changes everything for us. Real quickly, here's our last point this morning. I am small, God is holy, but here's the, the unbelievable part about God's holiness. God is near. God is near. Look again at verse chapter two. Verse 24 says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. He says it again in in verse seven of chapter three. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because they're taskmasters. He says, I know their suffering. God steps in. He says, I know they're suffering. I know what's going on. I love that word know there. It's not a mental thing. It's not like, oh, God understands it. God sees it. God mentally kind of makes a note of it. It's it's a a deeper word than that. It's, It's an emotionally attached, connected word. God says, I know your sufferings. I feel it. I understand it. I mean, it's it's here that the holiness of God gives us hope that listen, listen, wherever you're at this morning, God has not forgotten. His love, his rescue is holy. He does not forget. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows. He knows in an intimate way. He knows. In fact, I love in verse two, it says says that an angel of the Lord appeared and spoke out of the burning bush. That that, that angel of the Lord, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean? Is it an angel? Is, Is there something unique going on there? It's a unique phrase because it's not just any angel. Because other angels appear on the scene, and what do they do? They say, hey, here's a word from God. This angel of the Lord appears and says, I am God. Other angels appear, and people fall down like, oh, man, I got to worship it. And every other angel says, get up. Don't worship me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just here to to tell you what God's saying. This angel's worshiped. The angel of the Lord. When you see that phrase, it's it's used about six times in the Old Testament. You see an angel of the Lord. It's it's this this person who who you can approach, but, but God is holy. How can I approach his holiness? It's this holiness of God and this nearness of God at the same time. Listen, listen, this is the pre incarnate Christ, the one who we can be in the presence of God in all his holiness because of his grace, the God we can approach. And and this God comes near. God enters our pain and our struggle in a way that is so perfect as a way that only God could. His compassion is holy. Listen, you don't need to, to worry. What about my sin and my, my, my rebellion? Is, is it too much? His compassion is holy. 
N- nothing you've done, nothing you're, you're doing right now can change the degree of his holiness in his love and forgiveness and compassion and kindness. Never, never. If, if what you're doing can change God's compassion for you, then God is not holy. And so where there's sin, what do you say? You say, God, this is my sin. I can't believe you would rescue me and redeem me from this. God, in your holy righteousness and justice, I know I deserve death. But in your holy grace and forgiveness, I know that you reach out to me. That as far as your sin stretches, grace abounds that much more. Can you see now why, why the holiness of God, why recognizing I am who I am changes everything? That, that your change, your struggles, your sin, your brokenness does not dictate the degree of how, how holy God is. And so we become this people who can sing about this powerful God, powerful enough to change us, to love us, gracious enough to, to move towards us, to give us new identities because of his work on the cross. Here's a crazy thing. Moses wasn't looking for God. God was looking for Moses. It, it's not like Moses was praying and, and, and doing these sacrifices and, and seeking after. He's doing his, his daily job, day in and day out, looking after these sheep, and, and God seeks after him. God goes after Moses. God's the one who does the seeking. I mean, that's incredible. But then Moses responds, and what's he do? Verse three, it says, he turned aside to see this thing. That word, word turned aside, uh, another way to say it would be he, he was on his way doing one thing and he turned to do another thing. He made a move. He made a turn. He stopped doing what he was doing. I'm not going to care for these sheep any longer. I'm going across that valley over to where I see this burning bush. He makes a move towards the Lord. To turn aside, listen, to turn aside, he had to leave the sheep. He, he had to leave the ordinary business of his life. He had to take the time to look, to reflect, to seek, to go after God. And this is so important because, listen, there, there are so many of us who you've been brought near God, where God wants you to be. And God's saying, I want to do something in your life, and yet we're so unwilling, unwilling to turn, unwilling to repent, unwilling to move. And so we put our heads down and just keep doing what we're doing, just make ourselves busy, because what? We don't want to turn aside. As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning. Listen, you, you were created to find your identity, to find your sufficiency in a relationship with this holy God. For you to be satisfied in him. And listen, when you find a life of dissatisfaction, it's because you're living in a universe so small that it's all about you and God needs to orbit you. Listen, listen, don't try to get God to orbit you. You'll never be satisfied that way. We were created to bring glory to him, to orbit him. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you ready to turn aside? Has God been pressing in on you saying, listen, I know you're small. That's good. I'm glad you see that. I need you to see that I am holy. I am who I am. And, and he's calling you, maybe even this morning, and you know it. God's saying, I need you to reorient some things. I need you to turn aside. And, you, and, and you're so busy trying to fit God into the margins of life. Well, I'll just stick you over here, God. I just put you over here, and, and, and I got stuff I need to do, stuff I need to accomplish. And God's saying, turn aside. 
What is that for you this morning? Where's God pressing in on you saying, I am who I am. I have things I want to do in your life in perfect holiness. Just leave the sheep. Just turn aside from the thing you're pouring your life out for that you know is taking you nowhere. The thing that you know is just a distraction. The thing that you know is so entangling you. And we fully surrender to him. We offer a blank check of our life to God saying, God, I, I don't want to try to fit you into my purposes any longer. I'm surrendering my purposes to yours. And, and to recognize that God was so holy, he had to die for you. And so loving that he gladly would do it. When you have a God like that, when you see that God, it changes you. Where do you need to make a move today? you stand with me as I pray before we sing? Heavenly Father, I pray that even this morning, Lord God, that you'd remind us of your holiness. That you are a treasure like none other. Remind us that you, that you came near to us. You wrapped yourself in flesh. You took on our sins so that we could be made whole that we could be complete, not lacking anything because of your righteousness. There's no one like you, Jesus. So, so even right now, God, as, a, as an act of turning, Lord, we don't just sing now. God, we, we turn towards this truth. We turn our hearts right now towards the truth that you are holy in righteousness, that you are holy in perfection. You are holy in what you're doing. And so, God, we want to be near where you are. Thank you that you came near us. God, turn our hearts, turn our affections, turn our lives, turn our schedules, turn our families, turn us all completely to you to seek after you. Thank you for your holiness. Holy in love, holy in power, holy in forgiveness, holy in justice. God, you are awesome. We pray this in Jesus' name.